welcome to the Steve-O and Goody podcast. We just want to take an opportunity this real quick to welcome you. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the trials and tribulations of a couple of particularly good-looking hunters. Traipsing <laughs> <laughs> around this Australia. <laughs> Too young, very good-looking, and tall. Yeah, tall. <laughs> and freakishly tall. <laughs> Americans who are trapped down in the and uh, our experiences living over here and hunting here and elsewhere around the world. We're going to get on with that today, so stay tuned. It's the Steve-O and Goody Show, live from... Well, we're not really live. We're but... not even close to live. In fact, by the time you're hearing this, we may even be dead. <laughs> hey, welcome to Steve-O and Goody Show. Today, we've got an excellent and exciting podcast for you. Yeah. Today, we're going to have Andrew uh, Marlin from Team I Hunt Fit. And you've heard a little bit of Andrew in the past because he's he's the one who went hunting with Josh right. Campbell and with yep. Neil Becker in, in South Africa recently. We're going to touch very briefly on that, but we're going to talk about his Colorado hunt. So, Andrew, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for welcome, having man. me, guys. Welcome, welcome to Australia, mate. Oh, welcome thank to you. Australia. What's going on? How, how, how you been? I've been good. been trying to get back to uh, the real world, unfortunately. It's been a good couple months of hunting, and it's time to remember I have a real job. So, almost there. Yeah. So what, what do you do for a job? So I'm a firefighter paramedic. Been doing that since I was uh, roughly 19. And uh, then I also get to serve as the uh, general manager for iHunt Fit, which you probably touch on a little bit. And so those two things keep me pretty busy. So you get access to cool trucks and drugs. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. That's the- cool trucks and drugs. Oh, that's it, mate. I think that's the title for the podcast. Cool trucks and drugs. Cool, cool trucks, trucks and drugs. drugs. It's funny because you think about it, you take a bunch of type A alpha male personalities and then give us a big shiny truck full of expensive equipment and then they wonder why bad things happen. So Yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. Right. But then again, I don't think I want a type B firefighter. Have you got a bit of gas? <laughs> Gear acquisition syndrome? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know when I was working full time, doing ems and fire that i had a full work bag in my truck and i always kept like extrication tools in my pickup <laughs> crazy really? i always had like full of stuff you know when i when i started and especially as a, a volunteer i always had everything with me i just had to be ready to respond as if they'd need yeah. some 19 year old in a pickup truck but the, the more i've done it i feel like i've kind of gotten away from that and now i'm mm. the guy like asking for a pen on scene and all that so yeah yeah <laughs> and it kind of tapered off that's kind of disturbing man like, like your it's paramedic true. shows up it doesn't have a pen <laughs> yeah well that's it you and know because people don't realize that half of that call is writing that report yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah i'll be with the patient for 10 minutes and with the report for two hours so yeah, yeah. Oh, the, uh, start <laughs> the, com- the company that i worked for for some reason thought we needed to look like security guards oh yeah um so we had the we just had the solid black pants with no side pockets Ooh. so we had we didn't have the cargoes so we if you wanted to carry you know you wanted to carry your shears on you had to buy one of the little belt packs oh yeah the belt like pack. That. oh yeah. I hate it. <laughs> and then we had the white shirt with the black lapels on it oh yeah and so we we looked like idiots well, in, in a white we shirt, like security guards. You know? In this job, that's the last thing you want to be doing is trying to keep a white shirt clean. It, it's it. You know, you, yeah. you learn you learn about how to get blood out of your shirt with with peroxide and oh yeah, and the club soda it. and all that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yep. I remember that. So you're so you're done with the hunting for the season. Is that right? Are you are you wrapped up now? Well, um, no, I'm not done. Um, we're actually just getting started with our season, but based on kind of the tags that I was able to acquire. Um, mm. You know, the, the majority of my big hunts are over with. I've still got a coos hunt or an archery tag in December coming up that I'll be hitting pretty hard. And then we'll have our small game. But as for big game hunting, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty tied up or excuse me, pretty well done until January at this point. So it'll be a nice little break, nice. to be honest with you. Yeah, so what, what do you do in January? So January is when uh, the season starts over. So in Arizona, we have uh, basically January, in my opinion, is the number one season to bow hunt because that's when... Uh, deer and javelina season are both open archery and then Mm -hmm. if you we can only kill one deer a year in arizona so if you've killed a deer at any point during the fall after december 31st you start over so um, okay assuming i fill my 2018 tag in december uh, then i can go into january fresh with with a whole new set of tags and, and go from there nice excellent yeah so January, that is that when Matt came down with you? Yeah, no, he came down the first time. So we have uh, three archery seasons that are all over the counter here. 
And so he came out last January and, uh, you know, Q's deer were pretty tough. We had a couple close calls, couldn't make it happen. And so he just, um, came out for the, uh, I guess it'd be like the mid season or a lot of guys would call it early season. And that's our late August and early September hunt. So that just kind of finished up. And so he came out for that. And, uh, again, you know, quite a few close calls and hopefully, uh, he'll be able to come out in December again and make it happen. So that'd be nice. Nice. So yeah. for, for the listeners that haven't heard, Matt is the head coach for I my hunt fit. Yeah. Um, and Andrew is the production manager for I hunt fit. Is that correct? Production manager? Uh, general manager. Gen- yeah. General manager. I don't know I what difference fit. it means, but we've got a lot of way more talented people than me on the production side of things. So I was going to say, I, that doesn't include Steve-O, but we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about Steve-O's production value later. But So so in terms of, I guess, for our Australian listeners who, because it's quite different here, we don't have a tag system or set seasons, okay. except for one part of Victoria with one particular species of, of deer. Um, that's actually very, very narrow. It's called a hog deer. Um, and it's basically you get one month to hunt it. But other than that, we really don't have seasons here. How do the tag systems work? Just a kind of quick overview in Arizona. So you get so you get an X amount per calendar year, and then you start afresh. And then do you try to get everything at the beginning of the year? Or how does that work? If I was coming from Australia to Arizona to hunt? Yeah, so there's two ways you can acquire a tag in Arizona. And I think the, the easiest example would be deer. And with deer, archery tags are over the counter, which means you can just go into any sporting goods store and uh, pick up a tag and walk out and you're good to go. Um, or then we have a lottery, which is for um, rifle hunts with deer. And then depending on the species, some species are only a uh, lottery in Arizona, like elk and bighorn sheep, stuff like that. So uh, you can put in for the, the lottery for the rifle hunts, or like I said, just go buy the archery tag. And then the way our archery tag works is, like I said, we've got the three seasons and you can utilize that tag or any of those seasons. But once uh-huh. you've filled your tag, you're done because Arizona is a one deer um, per year state just in that, that just, you know, comes down to the management and you know, the suggestions from the biologist and all that stuff. So uh, that limit also um, counts against you with a rifle hunt. So say I would have drawn a rifle tag this year, which I didn't, then I had, a, I have kind of have a choice. I can take a deer in August with my bow and then turn in my rifle tag, or I could wait, shoot one with my rifle, but then I wouldn't be hunting that December tag. So there's a couple different opportunities. Archery is definitely the, the easiest to put together because the seasons are a lot longer and you're guaranteed a tag. So if you're wanting to do a trip or something like that, that's kind of what I would suggest. Nice. Um, okay. Well, if that kind of, you know, briefly answers your question there. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good because it's such a different system. And I think a lot of Yanks that we talk to don't get kind of the freedom we have here in a way, right? I yeah, mean, we can, yeah. We can go up to a part of the northern part of the country, and I think one one hunt I, we knocked over twenty eight pigs. Really? And yeah, I mean, now, we, now is that because that most of the species you're hunting are invasive? Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay, That's okay. it. We're actually only allowed to hunt invasive, invasive species. species here. We're not allowed to hunt anything native. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So but we've got six kinds of deer. Yep. We've six species of deer. Goats, feral bulls. Pigs. One hump camels. You can hunt yep. one hump camel here. You can hunt um, donkeys as well out in the really? middle, middle yeah. of the country. Um, you've got Brumbies. Yeah, Brumbies, which I've it's it's weird shooting a horse. I've done it about half a dozen times. And um and, and, and I don't know how you feel about horses. People get quite emotional either way. Um I've learned to hate them because they bust pig hunts. So okay. you'll be stalking a mob of pigs and some flipping horse comes along. And after a while you're like, you know what, I'm shooting the horse. <laughs> I got no problem now. I, I just I'm happy to see Mr. Ed on the ground. So but it's but actually all joking aside, they're quite challenging animals to hunt because yeah, they they're sure. tall. Big, sure. big field of vision. Um, they're they're kind of skittish of people, but they kind of know what you are. So it's it's quite an interesting experience. But yeah, so, it, I was just saying, it's interesting you bring that up. When I was hunting in Africa, you know, not too long ago, Neil, the, my PH, looked over at me. At one point, we had a zebra coming in. He's like, "Will you shoot a zebra?" And I was like, "Honestly, I don't know if it's worth the hassle." You know, it's just, yeah. it's so funny how a horse-like figure can get such an emotional response from people. Yeah. Right. I, it will touch on it, I think, with because yeah, we're yeah. going to talk about mountain lions in a little while. But yeah, yeah you're right. It, it seems to me where um, where cute or affectionate animals come into uh-huh. play, absolutely, um, people's views go right out the window. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned Africa. Yeah. So tell us a little yeah. bit about Africa. It doesn't have to go into detail because we're interested in some of the stuff you're doing in the states. But you you recently went to Africa, and we talked to Josh. Yeah. 
you know, I went into it knowing it was going to be cool. And it was definitely a, you know, a childhood dream of mine to hunt Africa. And I think most bow hunters have at least mm-hmm. thought of it, but man, I'm telling you it, Africa is, you can't describe it or, or do it justice through any form of media. You have to experience mm-hmm. it. And I was just blown away by, by the people. I mean, the hospitality at Red Sand Safari is just incredible. And, uh, the, the type hunting and the game. And honestly, I went into it, not, uh, not sure, you know, cause I'd heard mixed things, you know, it's definitely a controversial topic hunting in Africa. Is yeah. it a canned hunt or, you know, yeah, things like yeah. that. And, and, and it was, it couldn't have been farther from the truth. And it was amazing to me how similar it was to, to hunting here in the States. You know I mean? We were climbing up in tree stands, just like you would in the whitetail woods, you know, mm. in the Eastern part of the United States. And, and, uh, the wind busted us, you know, the weather played a factor. Yeah. We didn't always see animal movement, which to me was, was neat. I liked that because yeah. it added that challenge and we were truly hunting, you know, we weren't in a petting zoo shooting anything that walked by. You know? Oh, I'm not interested then, man. I'm oh yeah. I, I heard your, your podcast with Josh. So <laughs> we're I, big I fans of petting zoo around here. I, I would imagine if you pay accordingly, you can, you can make I, that happen. But you're uh, absolutely right, man. <laughs> You're absolutely right, but not I. I because uh, I live. I don't know if you heard of the podcast. I lived there for a year. Yeah, and okay. worked for a PH. So I, I, I absolutely agree with everything you just said. And I mm-hmm. think the the one topic I'd cover with Josh, and I'd be interested in your th- thoughts, is just the variety of game you see. Like, yeah. if you, huntable game, like because if you hunt whitetail, you may see whitetail, maybe mule deer, maybe a you know, maybe right. a mountain lion, whatever. But man, you, you know, in one day, you can see a dozen species of antelope, all of which you can hunt. That was so cool, man. I mean, even if it wasn't on the list, just to see those animals. And it took me a, about a day and a half to realize I wasn't at the zoo. You know, you're looking at these <laughs> these animals that, and there are so many different kinds of them, you know, and, and they're right there. And it, it felt like I was in a wildlife park or something like that, because that was the only time I'd experienced anything like that. But to realize those are wild animals. And, and I felt right at home. I mean, the train is so similar to Southern Arizona. It didn't feel out out of the ordinary for me until yeah. I realized I was looking at like a red heart of beast, you know? And so yeah. just, yeah, right. so neat, man. Love That's the crazy. experience. And, and honestly, the, the biggest mistake any bow hunter can make is not going to Africa at some point. Yeah. And I, I don't care if you have to save for 10 months or 10 years, it's, you won't be disappointed. Yeah. yeah Goody, Goody and I are, in, are intending on going next year. Yeah. Nice. So we're looking nice. at I got sign off from the minister of finance. Commonly yeah, referred she, to oh, my wife. Right. Yeah. She wants to go. Yeah, yeah. She wants to, she, um, she got um, stumped by an Impala the last, when we lived there a couple times. Like she, she tried to get an Impala. It's her Moby Dick. It's her Moby Dick. Man. Yeah, it's gotten I, away. Uh... So uh, after about a bottle of wine, I won't give you the full transcript, but it was basically, <laughs> um, she basically said, we're getting a bleep, 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 Impala. And I said, yes, dear. I had a so, very similar experience with Impala. I can, I can yeah, sympathize. <laughs> yeah, they are very narky, mate. They can yeah, be very quick and yeah. very edgy. And, and it's funny because I hear guys who hunt deer regularly, both in the U.S. and here, talk about how skittish deer are. Mm. It's like, mate, an impala is a is a white tail on meth, mate. I mean, they are just it absolutely is. Yeah, so it, it's never taken me that long to take my bow from the hanger and come to full draw as it did yeah, with yep. Paul in front of me. It's just unreal. Yeah, well, very something, skittish. Something you brought up too that you know I think is important for people to understand about Africa, and it sounds like your wife hunts, but if your your spouse, significant other, doesn't hunt it's still a great trip to take them on. I mean, generally the lodging is fantastic. The food's incredible. Like I said, hospitality is second to none. They're going to see animals, whether they go out in the field with you or not. And it's just a unique, fun experience. It would be great to share with anyone, even if they don't hunt. So definitely a great place. Yeah. So, So real quick rundown on the animals you took in Africa when you were there. So as I said, it was, it was cool that it was a challenge. I, uh, <laughs> in four and a half days of hunting, I killed uh, two big game animals and then a, a guinea fowl, which is funny in itself. Anyone that knows me knows that I will get distracted by a bird in a heartbeat. <laughs> I'm a wing shooter at heart, and I, I okay. carried a special head with me just for that occasion. So I was pumped up to shoot a, a guinea fowl, and I've taken a lot of crap for that from from the people that know me. But uh, no, that's all right, I, man. That's wrong yeah, with that. Yeah, you know, I so I ended up taking a, a warthog, yep. and and a wildebeest. You know, the warthog was was my first animal that finally came in. We had really cool weather, and I think Josh touched on it a little bit. And uh, just we weren't seeing the animal movement. We had some some high winds where it, you know it was tough to sit in a blind. They were swirling. Our scent was blown all around. So. Uh, warthog finally came in and, uh, Naval, my PH for the day said, that's, that's a nice warthog. 
And most importantly, it's a good representation of the animal. And that's all mm -hmm. I need to hear. And uh, let it fly. He's really cool. He's got a broken tusk, which to me just adds oh, a ton of character. You that's know, that's excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, you know, and, and it was amazing, man. You know, you hear about how tough African animals are, and they sure are. But I was fortunate that both my animals, you know, died very quickly. Um, I was able to put some good shots on them, and you know, confidence in my equipment paid off. So fantastic. So excellent. yeah, and then then I killed a. Uh, a wildebeest that I, I want to say it was the next night they all kind of run together but um the herd came in there was no good bulls i think i had to fly out like the next day and I, I said what do you think and he goes well do you will you shoot a cow and i said i'll shoot the oldest most mature cow in the herd yeah. Yeah. and so she presented a shot and i was able to take her and she was just you know such a neat animal as well yeah so those are the two i took you know i didn't quite have the uh the killing spree that Josh did. Yeah, but, that's uh, right, man. That's okay. It was, it was, you know, no, no. And, and we got to remember he's, you know, he's trained for this kind of thing for much longer. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. His, his background played some uh, benefit. And then I, I, I touched on Impala. That was, you know, my number one hit list animal going over there. And they came in and I was, everything was perfect. You know, my form was great on my bow. I had pre-ranged everything and the arrow went right where I was aiming. I just forgot that the Impala was standing at 25, not 20. And, oh, I, oh, and that was my only shot at an Impala. And so uh, they still give me a hard time. Neil, he, he wouldn't let me take a 25 yard shot after that. He let me take a 26 or a 24, but <laughs> he said that was my distance. I wasn't allowed to shoot out. Oh, that's, so, funny. that's funny. Yeah. But Classic. no, just incredible experience man i can't wait to go back i don't know if it'll be next year but it'll definitely you know within the next few years for sure excellent, yeah. excellent. Yeah. we're actually talking about doing a podcast from there oh that would be awesome so we're, we're hoping to do that and we just got to hunting and you know time went by so quick we never got to unfortunately but that would be a good podcast those guys are characters yeah. we're yeah. talking about going for a bit longer than you guys i think we're talking seven seven, seven to nine days that, that's the other thing i would recommend to anyone that's looking at going is don't don't go for just five days. I mean, yeah. Take the time. You're already making the flight. Go for seven, nine, fifteen. Yeah. As many days as you can pull off. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. It'll be a good opportunity. Have you ever dreamed of hunting Africa? But you thought it was just out beyond your reach? Red Sand Safaris is situated in the heart of the Bushveld in the Lampopo province of South Africa. With plentiful hunting opportunities in the African bush, along with its diverse bird life and natural beauty, Red Sands is a must for any adventurous hunter. Red Sands boasts a wide range of game, from the smallest and tiny of Steenbach to the mighty and dangerous Cape Buffalo. At Red Sands Safari, they not only cater for rifle shooters, but they also cater for the bow hunter. So no matter what kind of hunting you're into, they've got you covered. All you need is a spirit of adventure and good aim. Welcome to Red Sand Safaris, where professional hunter and outfitter Neil Becker will work with you on a personal level, one-on-one, -on -one, to make sure that you have the exact hunt that you are looking for. If you're keen on getting this Africa dream going, contact us directly at contact.rssafaris all one word at gmail.com and remember to leave us the country that you're living in so that we can get you out the correct brochure and price list is it time to make some dreams happen i think it is i'll be out there next year will you so tell us a little bit about um, the stuff you did in the states right before because i think we wanted to talk to you a little bit about um was it the coos deer is that yeah because yeah. you, you, you'd mentioned that steve steve had mentioned that you were working on something and Thought it'd be good to, for our Australian kind of listeners to yeah. yeah tell, well, starters, tell us a little bit about coos deer because I know you're you're pretty passionate about coos. I do so, like some coos, yeah. So, so tell us tell us all about it, man. So yeah, coos deer they're a subspecies of the whitetail, or one of the recognized subspecies here in the states, and they're uh, they're smaller in size, and I think a you know in terms of score, pope and young minimum is like a seventy four inches or something like that. Don't quote me on that, but. So they're relatively small deer, but they live, you know, they're pretty versatile in where they live. They, they like the, the higher elevation um, areas of the Sonoran Desert. And so you really can only find them in northern Mexico, southern Arizona, and southern New Mexico. And uh, they tend to hang to what we'd call like the Sky Island regions, which are just these, you know, small mountain ranges that just stick out above the, the desert floor, sometimes getting up into the 9,000 foot range. 
And then you'll find them all the way down on the desert floor. You know, and and I hesitate to say it because I've noticed, you know, like we touched on earlier, everyone says their deer are the most skittish and the toughest to hunt. Mm. So I'm not even going to go down that road. But what I can tell you is they are very very high alert and you you know see videos of them and they're very very edgy you know they'll come to water take a drink really quick and run and then come back for another drink and then run they're just and so that's kind of what makes them fun to hunt is they are pretty smart and it also makes them pretty frustrating so it's a whitetail species we hunt them pretty different than um than any other whitetail in the states you know the the terrain they live in is very opened and uh steep country so we're doing a lot of glassing and then working our way in stock in there or then we also will sit water um so i mean that's that's kind of a basic overview of q's deer i'm going to start rambling here but yeah, cool yeah. little deer okay it sounds a bit like kind of like pronghorn hunting yeah except the the terrain is is a lot uh steeper and rougher but yeah in terms of behavior absolutely yeah because okay. i i lived out west before before i moved to australia oh, okay and so i i, I get that being able, you need to be able to shoot a little farther. Yep. To, yep. Because uh, you, you're going to have a hard time getting close because there's not much to cover you. Well, so. and they call them the gray ghost. And one of the weird things about them is, is you know, sometimes they'll just vanish. And uh, after watching them for a while, you'll kind of catch on to their tricks. And we had one last year uh, during a rifle hunt. Actually, I was moving into on a really nice buck, and I just couldn't see him. He was gone and my buddy had been trying to call me. He was up on the hill watching this all play out and I, you know, just didn't hear my phone. And I got back to the truck that night and he said he watched that deer flatten out and lay his head down in the, the buffalo grass and let me walk by. I guess I was like five yards from him. Oh. You know, so they're just super wow. smart. He we've also glassed them up where they'll they'll stand up into a, a mesquite tree, which and uh, get their their rack up into the leaves where you can't see it. And, and have people walk by. So just fascinating when it comes to their wit, you know? Fantastic. And yeah. how many have you taken over the years? You know what? That's So I'm, I'm primarily a, a wing shooter at heart. So okay. a lot of my time hunting has been wasted, if you will, on, on waterfowl. <laughs> but uh, right. I've, I've harvested one with a, a gun, and then I lost one with a bow. And uh-huh. I think that that failure is what now drives the passion and i've just anytime someone's got a cues tag i'm i'm there trying to help them at least be a part of it so yeah they're frustrating animal <laughs> what kind of what kind of wing shooting into uh big time waterfowl and uh yep. we do a lot of dove shooting and to me that's you know what i like about that is it's so different than big game hunting it's so much more relaxing and you know mm. we can go out after work yeah. and kind of unwind so so i do a lot of dove hunting uh, in the season uh waterfowl and then um, we've got three different species of quail here in arizona nice nice. so yeah so i love to chase some quail as well i used to i used to do a lot of wing shooting too i, I love wing shooting it's just not really a thing in australia yeah it's, so it's I, tough I to do it here. you that, do a bit of there's some waterfowling in parts of the country but when i worked for the ph in africa his Probably, I reckon about maybe thirty to forty percent of his clients were wing shooters. So they uh-huh. he had um, German shorthairs, yeah, English yeah, and gray wing pheasant. Some they have Franklin's as well. over there, right? Yep, that's in right. Africa, they, yeah, uh, it's nothing's more spectacular in my mind than watching dogs work, pointers Absolutely. work. Absolutely, it's Absolutely. just amazing to watch. Did some waterfowling, so we had labs that did some stuff with uh-huh. dogs, but it, it just wasn't the same. And uh, no. I, so I'm surprised when you said you're a you're a wing shooter that you didn't get a chance to go do some gray wing stuff with Neil. You know what? We, we wanted to, and uh, we actually had a day scheduled to do that and it just didn't work out. You know, we were trying to get some big game animals on the ground and, yeah. and the w- weather wasn't cooperating. So next time we, we decided regardless of the, the hunting, we're going to go do some wing shooting. Cause that was definitely on my list while I was in Africa. Yeah. That, Cause there'd be nothing better for you than to have, you know, some full body taxidermy. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy pheasants and stuff like that, that you're not going to see anywhere else. Yeah. They're so unique. So cool. And I think I was driving them crazy every time a new bird would land on the the water trough or something (laughs) like that. I was busting out a camera. They're probably like, this guy's ridiculous, Mm. but yeah. yeah. Should have just given you a 12 gauge from the blind in mid Yeah. Well, like I said, I I took that a Guinea fowl and then, uh, (laughs) you know, I, it was, it was, it was tough because I wanted to keep shooting Guinea fowls. And if I'm, I'm honest, that would have been just as cool to me, but I didn't, you know, I know that the animals over there utilize some of those birds as a confidence decoy. So I didn't want to, uh, to keep scaring away birds every time they came to the blind. Otherwise that's probably all I would have seen, but next time. Ah, okay. All right. All right. So, so getting back to wing shooting, so that's good. Well, well again, I, I think you'll, if, when you go back, it's definitely worth doing it. Cause again, I, I'm not a huge wing shooter. I, I like a, a bit of it and I've yeah. got a, a, a side by side 12 gauge, but uh-huh. I just kind of putts around with it. I don't 
<laughs> I'm not really any, you know, madly into it or any good at it, but it's it's a lovely walk. And again, to watch the dogs work is quite impressive. Yeah, it's, that's, you know, worth it all right there, whether yeah. you shoot anything or not, just watching those dogs work. Yeah, that's excellent. You, you chase Havelina as well. I yeah, know absolutely. I've talk about I've that. Seen, that's kind of, you do that a lot, don't you? Uh, quite a bit, yeah. So so are there yeah. tags on that? Are there limits on Havelina? There, there are. Um, we actually, we can shoot, it's kind of a, a unique s- situation. We can shoot two Havelina a year. But they have the tags have to be a separate hunt number. And so what I mean by that is every hunt, you know, date and location is assigned a number. And I can't I basically couldn't shoot two javelina at one time. So okay. I would either have to shoot a javelina during a different hunt or in a different uh management unit, which is kind of how they break up the state to manage each herd okay. individually. And so um we can obtain one through a lottery. It's it's all lottery for Havelina, but they give away so many permits for the Havelina that you can generally pick up a leftover tag. Okay. And so the way that two Havelina works is I can I draw one tag and then I'll go pick up a leftover tag. So do you do you eat Havelina? I do. Um, I've got some friends that enjoy it, so I I prefer to um, support them in that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's a nice way of saying it tastes like shit. Is oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's <laughs> you can make it edible and you can make it almost enjoyable, but at the end of the day, you can still eat it and go, "That's a javelina." So, yeah. um, it's one of those things. You know, I'm going to choose to shoot them because they are so much fun to hunt, and uh, I couldn't couldn't tell you off the top of my head how many I've taken. But yeah, it's kind of one of those things. Like, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to at least utilize the meat in some way. So, yeah, yeah. When I have to, I eat it. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. It's, that, that's not a ringing endorsement for Havelina mate. No, right? no, yeah, it's yeah. it's nothing like an Axis deer or anything like that. Yeah. Well, I guess at the end of the day, they're just they're kind of like a a big guinea pig. Yeah, yeah, they're they're actually in the rodent family. So you know, a lot of people oh, call them okay. pigs and say they you know, and they look like pigs. They act like pigs. Um, actually, in talking to the guys in Africa, the behavior is very similar to warthogs, but they're actually rodents and more closely related to a raccoon. So mm, yeah. if that tells you anything about their meat. Yeah, well, I'm not eating <laughs> raccoon, man. I, I, I'm sure I've done it once in my life. I, don't, I have eaten raccoon. Yeah. I've eaten porcupine. I've eaten yeah, all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah, no, that's it. So, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So now, did you come back from an elk hunt as well? Yeah, yeah. That was, so uh, tell us about that. Yeah, that was quite an experience. So, you know, again, like I was saying, in Arizona, some of our tags are lottery, and we have some world-class elk hunting here in Arizona, but I think in order to have that, you know, we have a pretty tough draw. So I've been putting in for the elk tag that I want since high school and uh, haven't drawn it. So we've decided we ought to go look at other states, and Colorado actually offers an over-the-counter archery elk hunt. And right. um, we knew going into it, it would be, uh, you know, a really difficult hunt because the pressure is so high. I think someone told me, they estimated there a million hunters would hit the mountains of Colorado wow. um, opening weekend of elk season. So basically the idea was to get out there farther than, uh, than anyone was willing to go. And uh, we ended up talking to some guys through I hunt fit that had a connection with a, a landowner that would let us park on his property and then utilize his property to access some, some uh, public land. Uh, we went up there and we set up a base camp on his property. He was nice enough to let us, you know, kind of, put up a bigger tent and uh, park our truck there. And then we were prepared to spike out and we ended up spiking out a couple nights. Um, and, you know, long, long story short, we, we found the elk six days later, you know, the guys I was with had hunted elk with here in Arizona and I've hunted elk, you know, with other people's tags here in Arizona. And the, the behavior is just so different because these elk are so tuned into surviving, you know, I mean, you've got a million guys looking for you. I think there's 280,000 elk in, Colorado and a million elk hunters. So, oh, you sure. know, if you do the math, you can see the, you know, the yeah. pressure is pretty, pretty high. So anyways, we found the elk above tree line, uh, six days later, I think at that point we'd covered about 40 miles on foot and, uh, we made our way up to where they were in the afternoon and, uh, they worked their way out and, and we, we had one cow at 150 yards. We started, you know, working our way in and uh, the wind swirled, and as yeah, as we know, that horrible feeling, you know, when the wind hits the back of your ears. Yeah. And uh, she took off, and so it, by that time it was about dark, and we made our way down to the spike camp, which was at the base of this mountain. It was about about one one and a quarter miles, and uh, twelve hundred feet in elevation change. 
And that was as close as we could get to the elk because that was the only water source we could find. And we knew we needed to be close wow. to the water. Yeah, yeah. So we got back down and, uh, you know, the whole trek down at this point, our, our muscles and our, our legs and feet were so weak. We were rolling our ankles and tripping and, and we just decided, you know, we got back to base camp and we said, all right, let's, we gotta be real with ourselves. Is it worth it? And we kind of looked at the way the mountain was shaped and, and with the wind. And, and I think a lot of our decision was based off fatigue, looking back at it, you know? Yeah. But we decided that, that the elk weren't extremely huntable in that position. I mean, they put themselves there for a reason. And then we also had to realize that with the heat of the day, there was really no chance in getting that meat back to the truck and then into town and on ice before the meat would go bad. So we made the decision to uh, go ahead and back out at that point. But um, wow. it was it was a tough hunt, definitely That's the most a heartbreaker. Yeah, it was a heartbreaker, you know, especially knowing where those elk were and. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things now looking back, thinking like, was that the right decision or not? But ultimately it was, I think we were starting to get really fatigued and kind of putting ourselves in a little more danger than necessary. And then also we, we wouldn't want to risk losing that meat. So we came back, spent a day at the lake doing some, some knee boarding and tubing and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, oh, you stopped left. by the petting zoo to pick up some meat, didn't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny. <laughs> I saw a billboard on my way through Colorado that said, don't go home without elk meat. <laughs> and it said a cow two thousand dollars and a bull three thousand. I thought you've got to be kidding me. So apparently there is such a thing. <laughs> you can just buy it. Yeah. yeah oh, that's yeah. hilarious. Hey, you want so, some of my recent elk kill? Yeah. yeah <laughs> or the yeah. best thing is if it was actual live animal. <laughs> well, I think that's what it was. I think it was one of those you know high fence kind of more oh, of a candid hunt no. type situation. But oh no, yeah. that's so, fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess that is a thing for people. I wouldn't have felt good doing it, but that'd be hey, a pretty good business idea, though. Hey, yeah. it's like. If you get a bunch of guys with that much pressure and they're coming home empty and they're like, Hey, I can stop in here, pay three grand and shoot. Well, yeah. well and that's the thing. Yeah. I, I told my, my buddies, I said, you know, the most frustrating thing we had made it to the top of the hill and we're, you know, at like 10,000 feet looking down on all creation. I said, the most frustrating thing about this hunt is that if we don't kill something or we don't kill something big, no one else is going to understand the struggle we went through yeah. for that small animal you know that cow that spike and it's like it's so frustrating because if people only knew you know or if if, you know the guy's wives even knew like we were trying you know because you get the pressure there you better fill the freezer it's like well Mm. we tried you know so so yeah i can definitely see where the whole three thousand dollars and you get to take an elk home thing probably pays off for for those businesses wow wow that's That's crazy so ten thousand feet up i mean your your fitness level would have to be pretty amazing just to make that let alone yeah yeah to hunt it yeah you know it um you know i consider myself pretty good shape but i i knew going into it i just hunted uh, turkey last spring up in colorado with uh, roy jackson jackson outfitting from this team as well and uh i was like man this ten thousand feet is no joke so i really you know me and my hunting buddies took it pretty serious and started utilizing some of the i hunt fit training programs and and i you know what it would it definitely showed and i was glad i had put that effort you know, into to getting in that kind of physical condition and really preparing in that way, because I don't think we would have made it two days without that. But it's still, you know, at 10,000 feet, mm. no oxygen, man. It was, like I said, one of the tougher hunts I've ever done, for sure. This is actually the first podcast that I've said this out loud, but I'm, I'm actually also a member of Team I Hunt Fit. Yeah. I got into it not long after um, my most recent back injury. I've had a lot of them. Um, and yeah, so we did, I just did a, a hunt up in the Flinders Ranges not long ago. I would not have survived up there without, mm-hmm. you know, the training that I got from that and working through it because I had the major surgery earlier in the yeah. year. I mean, they weren't, it wasn't like climbing in Colorado because I used to live in Idaho and it wasn't like climbing yeah. mountains out there, but you know. I wouldn't have made up these. Yeah. I wouldn't have made it up the hills. Yeah, because the Flinders Ranges for your benefit are there, a fairly large mountain range. Okay in south australia um i can't remember if they go up into the center into the northern territory like geography is not they're great, pretty long yeah they're it's a big but they're not they're not very high but they can be quite rugged and quite challenging so you don't get the elevation you guys probably would have experienced but two things one there's a lot of steep sure kind of outcrops and stuff and it's yeah. tons of shale yeah so, you're walking on you're walking on shale the entire time and footing is something that that people don't think of you know we're crawling over deadfall for a lot of this and that was what was tougher for us so yeah your footing you know the shale and stuff like that absolutely plays a huge factor yeah yeah 
Absolutely, because I know my, my most recent elk hunt before I moved out to Australia was in, I was in Palisades, okay. Idaho, um, and I was hunting with some buddies up there, and we were going up and down, and the area that I had chosen to go, because that's where I thought the elk were, it was a bunch of deadfall, and it was, yeah, it yep. was it's amazing how quickly that wears you out, and you don't even have to go that far mm. through it to mm. really no. just be exhausted. Yeah. Well, you're, you're using muscles that you didn't even think you had, you know, I mean, yeah. some of the angles you've got to step at and it's just brutal. Mm. Yeah. Cause I know yeah. like even in that Flinders range hunt, I found like, just cause I'm walking on the shale, the sides of my calf hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Like all this, mm. like the, I work the calf all the time, but I never thought about working the mm. sides of my calf, but mm-hmm. just because of the way your feet are kind of mm-hmm. shifting it, it's, it's, yeah. Like you said, it's, you're, you're feeling muscles that you didn't know you had mm. yeah yeah I, I found the easiest solution for me was i just pay people to carry me oh, okay yeah <laughs> it's it works easier in africa because the labor's cheaper but australia can be quite expensive but i find it's really grueling on the guys that are carrying me right, right. I, I see a lot of grimace even, a lot of even through the sawdust at the petting zoo or is that that's, well that's on? right you know they've got to breathe that in so i've lately they've been they've been kind of negotiating with well, me the to thing get you dust gotta understand about stuff. goody here is, is he doesn't go to the petting zoos that have the dust they have to have marble floors. Yeah, that's oh, right. Oh, yeah. right, right. That's it. Gluten-free yeah, yeah. feed for the animals. Well, that's right. exactly right. I'm, yeah. Like I want to, I want to shoot a healthy animal. Goody's a quite, zoo. quite fit individual as well. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I'm starting my own version of I hunt fit called I hunt fat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we've made that joke before. It's... Yeah, no, but I, I I fit that joke. I'm afraid, but uh, he resembles that remark. Yes. Yeah, so I'm 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 a big fan of taking it easy and taking shortcuts and. Not being prepared because I love wheezing and vomiting during my hunt. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I can proudly say n- none of us vomited on the on the trip to Colorado. So definitely paid off. Well, that's a disappointment, but I'm glad you're happy. About it. <laughs> okay. Just quickly, uh, I would like to touch on one other thing with you, Andrew. We are kind of yeah. running short on time. Um, now, I know that in Arizona they were recently going through some trying to legislate to outlaw lion hunting. Yeah. Tell us a little, bit, us about a little that. bit about that. So, yeah, it, it it was so frustrating. And this is, you know, it's a constant argument. But we've got people making decisions on wildlife that don't spend a day out in the field, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, first of all, Arizona is a huge cattle industry state. And that's a majority of our industry here. So, so you've got to understand that mountain lion management and population management is crucial to the success of our economy. And so that was kind of the first concern when I even heard that. But a lot of, from what I gathered, the, the, the people supporting this, this bill, their decision-making process was revolving around the fact that they didn't see mountain lions on the side of the road. Like you'll see a deer on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And it was also to ban mountain lion and bobcat hunting. Right. And which to me, you know, it's, you've got you've to understand that mountain lions, they are more docile. They don't like people. And they avoid people. I've only, you know, I, I've spent probably a hundred days a year in the field and I've seen three in my life and, and all three ran as soon as they saw me and they saw me first. So they don't, they're an apex predator. So they understand the game of cat and mouse and they don't want to be seen by humans. They're going to be high up where these, where there aren't normal people. You know, where I saw these lions was where no human should ever take themselves and, uh, you know, it was a brutal hike getting up there. And so the fact that you don't see them doesn't mean that's a place that good you wouldn't go. Yeah. I, no, I, I'd no, fly a helicopter there, but no, no, you, uh, you, you'd have gotten out of the truck and said, you're crazy. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and that's what appealed to me about that at spot. I thought, I thought there's gotta be wild game up there. Cause no right minded individual would go okay. up there. And I was right. <laughs> I found a great pack of javelina that, you know, responds to a call. Well, so it's, it's a great area, but you know, I thought that the thought process behind the bill was I think blown way out of proportion and it wasn't really backed by data. I mean, data shows we do have a very high line population here. We see sign of them very regularly. And, um, you know, the guys that do go out and pursue them do kill quite a few each year and the, the population sustains. And I think it really, you know, like we talked about a little bit with the zebra and we talked about before the podcast, it goes back to the whole cute factor syndrome and, mm. and is what I call it, you know, and, you know, no one's ever protested a turkey hunt. They probably never will. I've never taken flack for shooting javelina because they're kind of ugly, but you post a picture of a bear, a lion, um, you know, people just lose their mind. And it's, it's funny that, you know, they, they think they're doing that out of care for the animal, but Mm. you know, it's, 
population management has a purpose. And, and I, you know, I'm proud to say it, in the United States, we do have a, a very successful wildlife management system. And it's different than many other places. And not to say the other places systems don't work. I, you know, I saw it firsthand in South Africa. Their system works fantastically for, for what they do. Mm-hmm. But our system also works. And people almost will grasp that when it comes to, okay, we need to take this many turkeys so they don't starve. But when you start talking about shooting bears or lions or anything like that, people come unglued. And you've got to understand that wildlife management practices, and when it comes to carrying capacities of an ecosystem and all this you know, stuff that people that make way more than me, you know, understand and can probably speak on much more eloquently. It includes all wildlife, regardless of how they look or, or how yeah. many childhood books and cartoons. Yeah, they're yeah. In, how many Disney you know? movies they've made about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How many Disney movies they've starred in. So I really, I was concerned that that bill even made it. Um, so, because so Andrew, I just felt, to back up for a minute, what, what yeah. was the actual bill? What was being proposed in the legislation? Basically, uh, right there. Simply put, yeah, outright ban on on all mountain lion and bobcat hunting, okay. which you know are, you think about it. We've got javelina, which aren't known for being bright. You know, we've got a lot of coos deer. We've got a lot of you know cattle, as I mentioned. So these lions have a lot going for them, yeah. and this is prime habitat. So if we didn't manage the the mountain lion population, we would have it would out, be yeah. a catastrophe. And you know, we see it in California too, where they never had a problem with lions attacking runners. And now, you know, they're, they're overpopulated, they're hungry, they're attacking runners. And before the bans in, Col- in California, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say they harvested about 300 lions annually. Well, now the Department of Game and Fish on the taxpayer's dime shoots about 300 nuisance lions a year. So, so you, yeah. So, yeah. So you got the same number of dead animals. Exactly. Except one's done in an efficient right. way and the other one's done in a bureaucratic government way. That Absolutely. Pretty, and, no, and it's wasteful. Well, yeah. All three of us are on Facebook. I've, mm-hmm. I've noticed that recently there there has been, even for hunters, there's been a ton of self-defense shoots for guys yeah. out elk hunting and deer hunting mm-hmm. who have had to self-defense against mountain lions who are, I mean, they're not, they're, they're kind of straight coming at them. Like mm-hmm. some guys yeah. are talking about two and three shots at them Please. Yeah. as they're coming running at them. And I don't know if, if I know you saw the one on the team page that, for her friend his friend yeah with the arrow that was right through the face impressive yeah. shooting by the way uh, yeah i think it was luck but <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter at that point hey at that point it doesn't matter if, as if long as the arrow charging me, i don't care what yeah. gets it on the ground because i've, I've actually yeah. read more about that story uh-huh the actual guy is in a few of the the um groups and forums that i'm in yeah and he's actually told the story and and he said that like he he started shouting and stuff like that to scare it off and it just kept coming mm. and he he said the only reason he's alive is he, he his bow was sitting on the ground and he picked it up and he happened to have an arrow knocked mm. otherwise yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't have over that's crazy so so in terms of the bill or the the, the proposed legislation who, who's backing it i mean is it an animal rights crowd is it a, a conservation crowd like what's the what's the main thrust of their argument is it that we shouldn't be shooting these beautiful animals or, oh, they're rare and endangered and therefore they can't be. You know what? Yeah. And I don't remember exactly who proposed the bill and who was backing it. I'm sure, you know, Humane Society backed it and PETA Mm -hmm. and all them. Again, I didn't get a chance to really read into the bill like I probably should have as a sportsman with that, you know, pertaining to, to something that I do daily. But um, the, the gist of it that I got, at least from its supporters was that, you know, we don't, where the lions at we're not seeing them which let's be real do you really want your kid to see a lion every time he goes out for recess like you know well, right i mean well, yeah. my kid it depends on the mood I, she's in but that's a different, that's a different conversation yeah. right yeah <laughs> we, but uh yeah you know so it was really to me it was a very ignorantly based um proposal does it have support i mean is it a referendum or is it going through um the state uh, house well, it, got we, knocked, it got knocked down. It did get knocked down. Uh, okay. Yeah, so it was a referendum. So, yeah, but but I mean that's not to say it won't happen again. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, and we're always they're, under threat, they're gaining yeah. ground, and it's so easy, you know, to get a get someone that's not educated in the matter to sign a petition to save the cute little kitty that you know runs around the forest. But you know, but especially in when of, in terms of the population of Arizona, though, I, I, I mean, maybe it's I mean I've, it's been twenty years since I've lived in the U.S., but my kind of my mindset around Arizona is that they're 
pretty rural, kind of rugged people generally. Do you have an influx of Californians that are coming out there that are kind of a bit green yeah. or, or is that where this is coming from? Yeah. You know, we, you know, our larger cities, we've got Tucson, Phoenix that are, you know, Tucson's right at about a million people probably. And uh, Phoenix is, is above that. And so we're getting more people that just, you know, I, I don't even know if it's a green issue or if it's just a, uh, you know, it's, they're not educated. Yeah. A lot of Arizona is rural and they, they live with mountain lions and other wildlife and they see firsthand the benefits of wildlife management and they see the, you know, the issues that can be around, you know, poor wildlife management as well. But you're just getting a lot of people that, that are basing their decisions based on, on their ignorance and really no fault of their own. If you think about the worlds that they're in and, and, you know, I'm not going to tell them how to vote on the next technological advance, whatever, but come ask me before you start voting on, on wildlife and things in a rural setting. So um, I think there is that. And yeah, there is because our, our property values are much cheaper than California. People are able to sell their houses in California Mm -hmm. and come uh, buy a house out in Arizona. That's equal or, or greater than the house they had and, and buy it outright. So mm. we do, we do get quite a few people from California and states like that um, in Arizona as well. Okay. Interesting. It's kind of like here with Sydney. People yeah. House here come and then come elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that that's changed our political climate at all or not, but it definitely uh, has, you know, changed the demographics. Some, I'm sure. Yeah. No. It's, and again, it, it's one of those things that um, I think it's about kind of making sure people understand the facts and stuff. So, so good. Well, cool. Well, um, let me ask you, because I asked this with Josh, and um, we are getting pressed for time. Um, now that you've hunted overseas, um, and obviously, you know, you sound like you want to go back to Africa. Have you thought Absolutely. about hunting overseas anywhere else? Yeah, you-, you know, I love it, man. I, uh, you know, my favorite thing about hunting is is I get to not only experience another culture, but experience really how they source their food. So if you think about mm. it, that's just such a deep way to mm. experience mm. other places. And uh, yeah, actually. Um, New Zealand and Australia are probably yeah. definitely up there on my list. Um, yeah. And, uh, we, we can you know, sort that out for you. Yeah, we can help you out with that. Don't threaten <laughs> me with a good time. Right. I might show up yeah. at your doorstep. But, yeah. uh, both, of, both of them, actually. And, yeah. and we got beds. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd love to uh, to come out your way um, at some point and definitely see that. It's been on my list for quite a while. And uh, recently, you know, some of the mountain hunting stuff up in, up in the Alps and stuff has been kind of appealing. So, yeah. yeah. Just uh, all depends on the opportunities that come my way, you know, big believer and just take whatever opportunity you get. Yeah, because um, one of the things I, I, you know, when we talk to American hunters, a lot of them is, ah, you know, like I, I hunt my stand. I've hunted it every year since I was two and I'm going to stay here and I'm happy here. And then, it's my 10 acres. Yeah, it's stay my up. 10 acres yeah, kind of deal. Yeah. And I think what I hope to see is as people go to Africa and other places, they start to see that actually there's a whole world out there and you can it's hunt absolutely. it a lot of it, right? Yeah. And it's big and, and it's got a lot of interesting game and... And I encourage people a lot to, yeah, just to get out and hunt some, you know, whatever it is you do, let that be what shows you the world. I mean, I know people that love to golf and they've golfed all around the world and they wouldn't have necessarily gone to those locations had it not been for yeah. golf. I probably would have never gone to South Africa had it not been for hunting, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. that's my thing. And I've gotten to experience things even here in the States that I never knew existed because of hunting. And that's my thing. And that's how I've seen it. And it really can open your eyes to you know, broaden your horizons, you know, learn other things. And, and it, honestly, it teaches you to be more open-minded, yeah, you know, I mean, if you're in the right. Southeastern United States, you're probably going to hunt over a corn pile, but you know what, that's how they do it. It's legal and yeah. go for it. You're going to come out West, you're going to do some glassing and you learn so much about the individual hmm. cultures and family traditions. So yeah, get beyond that 10 acres and Man. And just take whatever opportunity you get, you know, and get to I the mean, nearest I'll, petting zoo you can. Man. Yeah. Was, yeah. The nearest petting zoo. Just yeah. even if it's 50 cents per handful of feet. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was actually amazed because uh, I grew up in Michigan. Yeah. Initially. And um, I, was, I was amazed at how different the hunting was when I went West. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was night and day. Like they, they're, yeah. not, they're not even comparable. And, and Goody and I have discussed this on previous podcasts about how, here in Australia, so some people are like, um, you know, they talk about particularly tree sand hunters mm. and how that's not hunting and, mm. you know, there's no... Because the spot and stock is overwhelmingly what people do here. Very few and, and he, Yeah. And we, we do a lot of spot and stock here. What I tell people to that, because I hunt both, you know, like I said, I travel a lot, is when you're putting that tree stand up, you might not be as active as you are spot and stock, 
but you've committed to a 50 yard by 50 yard yeah. radius. Right. You know what I mean? And so where, when I'm glassing back home in, in Arizona, I can look for two miles in any direction. I'm going to see deer. You've got to be right on the money when you hang that stand. So it's just a different set of challenges. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I wouldn't have known that unless I took the jump, flew across the United States and hunted you know, Eastern United States. So, yeah. Well, that's all the time we've got for today, Andrew. We just want to take an opportunity just to really thank you for coming on. And yeah, it's been great talking yeah. to you, man. Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure. So, we my look pleasure. For- Thanks for having me. Yeah. We look forward to some more stuff in the future. Um, Absolutely. I know we, we seem to, we seem to get close to our guests after they're on the show. So, yeah. We so, chat yeah. with Josh a lot now. So, that's excellent. Yeah. Me and Josh will have to come out your way or something like oh, that. Oh, man. Well, it'll be That'd more be fun, fun than a bag of weed, mate. We'll have a lot of fun, mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing is, you know, I, I'm going to school to be a teacher. So, once I get out, you can't take holidays during the school year. Uh-huh. And so, it it's kind of a pain because it kills a lot of the hunting seasons. However, sure. our summer here is December, January, February. Oh, okay. So okay. I'm, I might be knocking on your door and yeah. saying, hey, buddy, let's Absolutely. go do some coos hunting, man. That's it. Well, look, at, I'm actually, it's funny because I'm heading out to the U.S. next week, actually. Really? Yeah, to uh, my high school reunion in Connecticut. Oh, okay. Okay. And, uh, you know what kills me is it's in the middle of hunting season, but um, sure. the truth of the matter is I don't know this, what the hunting is. This is your 100 year reunion? It's my, yeah, it's my 150th year <laughs> reunion. Yeah. Um, very exciting. The, see, the, see, Goody was around when the Dead Sea was just sick. That's it, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, man. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's it. He, Moses he went, was in school in short pants. Yeah, so, he, uh, he, went, he went to school with Jesus, but he was a he was an upper class. He was a, yeah, that's right. He yeah. was a freshman. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so I, I, it's funny because I, I I'd love to be able to hunt now because it's it's this time of year, and um, yeah. but that being said, I may stop in uh, stop out to Arizona someday, and you've got to make sure that you set up the right the right hunting areas, and by the right hunting areas, you know exactly what I mean. Chains, L- chains, tethers. Yeah, yeah. I, I want, I want a big ear tag that I can take as a trophy. That kind of stuff. And, and, and show me where that three thousand dollar elk sign is, Mike. That's, he wants you to hide uh, the tether go for a drive. Yeah. yeah, he wants it to be a small little hill right in front of the animal, right. so that so that it hides the tether. Yeah, so that way right. when you're filming yeah. it, yeah. Right, we can have the but dramatic music. Then you gotta take it off background. before he gets over there. <laughs> That's it. So, uh, so it feels like a real hunt. Yeah, I, he pays well for that. I pay re- I pay well for for feeling like a real hunt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> so, um, no, well, look, that's it. We better get running because Steve has got to pay the bills, and so do I. So, mate, it's really great chatting with you. And again, we'll have to Likewise. catch up face to face the next time we're on the same continent. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Right, it's been mate. fun.